Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Thank you, Phil. set up here. Great. Well, uh, what's the most unbelievable thing that someone has ever told you? How did you know whether to believe them or not? Sometimes it's easy. Like if someone tells you that they've figured out how to time travel, or if they tell you that coffee isn't the greatest drink in the whole entire world. Pretty obvious. <laughs> or if you do what my housemate used to, used to try to do when he was at uni, someone would come up to him and ask him, you know, in conversation, what are you studying? And he'd look at them straight in the eye and go, I'm starting to be a ballerina. Um, but my favourite thing was when he'd reply with, I'm actually starting to be a space marine. It's kind of like a cowboy in space. Um, and obviously you'd look at that and you'd think, it's unbelievable, there's no way that's true. Uh, but I really enjoyed the fact that he did manage to convince some people that he was actually studying to go into space and be some kind of strange space cowboy. It was great. <laughs> but when someone claims to be something, or claims something to be true, what makes you believe in that claim? Because I know when it comes to sharing what I believe as a Christian uh, and what the Bible says with some people, 
Sometimes uh, I notice that they're kind of looking at me like I'm from outer space, like they're expecting some green antennas to pop out of my head and for me to point up into the sky, say, E.T. phone home. Um, I think it's pretty strange. When it comes to Christianity, sharing about who Jesus is, it can sometimes, I think, be like trying to convince someone that aliens do exist, that they came into your backyard one night, they held an intergalactic tea party, that an alien named George told you that he was studying to be a space marine. It's kind of like a cowboy in space. It can seem unbelievable. Jesus can seem unbelievable. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because at the centre of Christianity is Jesus. And for Christians, it's crucial that what Jesus says about himself, what the Bible says about him, is true. That he is the Son of God, that he did come down from heaven, that he died for us on the cross, and that he rose again. Maybe you're here this morning and thinking that this is the most ridiculous thing that you've ever heard. Jesus is unbelievable. Maybe you would find it easier to believe that aliens did actually land in my backyard last night. Maybe you believe that Jesus was around, but you're not quite sure what to make of him. Who was he, really? And why do Christians always talk about this guy? And they're great questions and really worth thinking through. Because what Jesus offers you is a relationship with God. A God who loves you enough to pay the ultimate price for you to know him. So there are three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're looking at Jesus' historical existence, looking at what the Bible claims about this Jesus and how Jesus actually followed through on these claims. And finally, well, even if Jesus followed through on those claims, even if he did rise from the dead, what does that have to do with us? So point one, the historical Jesus. So the Bible claims that Jesus existed, has four books called the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they all focus specifically on Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Now if Jesus didn't exist, uh, I don't think I really need to say it, but the Christian faith uh, would be futile. We'd be following a made-up fictional character much like following Luke Skywalker and trusting in the Force. Sorry, Mike, about that. But history backs up the Bible's claims that Jesus did exist. We can learn that through people like a man called Cornelius Tacitus, who was a historian uh, who lived around 56 AD. Uh, In a book called Cold Case Christianity by ex-atheist James Wallace, he quotes this historian... In this quote, Tacitus describes the Emperor Nero's attempts uh, to blame Christians for a fire that had broken out in Rome uh, and destroyed a lot of property. Tacitus writes, Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And the most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Now this document doesn't only back up the fact that Jesus did exist, it also backs up what the Bible says about how Jesus died and under whom this happened. 
It also speaks of where Christianity originated, being Judea. It matches up with the Gospels in describing these things. It also tells us what Tacitus thought about Christianity. Obviously, uh, you can tell he wasn't a big fan. Now, a modern-day example comes from a guy called Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament scholar and historian. Uh, In a book that he wrote titled, Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth, um, he writes this. As a historian, I think evidence matters and the past matters. And for anyone to whom both evidence and the past matter, a dispassionate consideration of the case makes it quite plain that Jesus did exist. Bart and Tacitus, though neither Christians, agree on the uh, historical existence of Jesus. The man who kick-started Christianity and who people for thousands of years have been following and calling their Lord and Saviour. So proving that Jesus existed shouldn't be what's stopping us from investigating Christianity further. I think there's more than enough evidence out there to say that Jesus did exist. What we all do need to investigate and think through carefully are the claims that Jesus made while he was here on this earth. And thinking through the topic of Jesus is unbelievable, we need to address these claims to see if there is credence to what the Bible says about him. But you might still be thinking, even if Jesus did exist, why should a man that lived that long ago have an effect on the way that I live now? Well, it's because if what Jesus claims is the truth, then it has eternal consequences for all of us. So point two, what the Bible claims about Jesus. Now, it can either be uh, really comical or really frustrating when someone makes a claim that they can't follow through on. So comical like me, say, telling you that I could go to the NBA and beat LeBron James one-on-one in a game of basketball. If you came and watched that game of basketball, you'd be laughing hysterically by the end of it because I am rubbish at basketball. But another example, one of my friends when, uh, when we were younger, probably about 13 or 14 years old, I remember uh, him telling myself and another two of our friends, he said, you see that massive rock over there? I can lift that rock up and I can throw it all the way over there. We kind of looked at the rock, we looked at him, looked at his arms, said, no you can't. Yes I can, he said. You'll hurt yourself, we said. I'll be fine, he said. And then one thoroughly broken and mangled toe later, I told you so. (laughs) We didn't use those exact words. It was kind of, we're running up a hill, trying to drag him behind us uh, to get to a car to get to the hospital, but you get the picture. (laughs) But think of some bigger claims that have been made. You know, when you're relying on someone to follow through and what they've claimed that they're going to do. But they don't. They either forget that they've said they can do that or they just can't get the job done. It's funny, when I typed in claims that haven't been followed through on Google, just out of curiosity to see what popped up, the first three or so pages focused on people who were in powerful positions, positions of authority over other people who had made claims that they hadn't been able to follow through on, who had let people down. For us today, well, does Jesus fit into that category as well? In Mark's Gospel, the very first words that Jesus uttered are these. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, at this point in history, 
uh, a nation called Israel were waiting for someone in particular. They were waiting for a person who will bring in this kingdom that Jesus is talking about at the start of Mark. And throughout Mark's gospel, it becomes clear that Jesus is actually claiming to be the one who is bringing in that kingdom. He is its king. Claiming to be the one that the Israelites have been expecting and waiting for, the king that will bring salvation to God's people. For the members here at Grove, we looked at the Gospel of Mark at the start of the year, and we've heard all about what the kingdom of God will look like. That there will be absolute restoration. There would be an end to pain and suffering, restored relationships, no sickness, no death. That the kingdom of God is for anyone who would turn to trust in Jesus. But Jesus uh, didn't just say that the kingdom of God has come near. He calls for a response to that. He's calling for people to respond in a particular way. Repent and believe, Jesus says. Repent means to turn away from doing something that is wrong with the intention of not turning back to that. Jesus tells people to turn away from living a life without God. He calls people to turn to God to put their trust in Him. Now these are big claims and if Jesus can't back them up, then He's just a false advertisement. He's just another person with power that has let people down, claiming to be the only way to God but not being able to deliver which is just cruel if he can't do that. But throughout Mark's gospel, throughout the other gospels, we're told again and again that Jesus doesn't just make claims and then ignore them when the time comes. He steps up to the plate and he delivers. And he does so in the most unexpected ways. Jesus shows that he is this king through dying. If you were claiming to be the king, the chosen one, How would you show that? How would you show that power? Would you come and spend all your time with people in society that society hates? Would you spend your time disagreeing with people who are in power, who want to kill you for doing so? Would you spend your time with people, caring for them, even though they have absolutely nothing to offer up to you? And would you choose to willingly go to your death in the place of people who'd done horrible things? Because that's what Jesus does. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus tells his disciples, tells us, how he will ultimately bring in this kingdom. It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Son of Man is a reference that pops up throughout the Bible that refers to Jesus. And again in chapter 10 verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. These aren't the kind of claims that I'd be wanting to make as God's chosen king. I think I'd be ordering my favourite foods, getting a banquet started. Be saying, bring me my royal robes and go build me a statue or something. Lock up this person that was rude to me the other day in the shops. I'd be claiming this. We're going to go to Jerusalem. 
were going to lead the Jews in a revolt against the Romans and end their dominance there. We're going to get a massive army together and we're going to go out to do battle. Well, you'll, you'll do battle. I'll probably stay in my comfy seat, maybe eat some grapes, get a foot massage from all the countryside wandering I've been doing. But Jesus never seeks out that comfort to exercise that power over people. Jesus says that he's going to be beaten, mocked, spat on and killed. Now, why would he do that? Why would someone claiming to be a promised king say that they're going to suffer horribly and die? Sounds like the shortest reign of kingship in the history of the world. But while everyone else had expectations for how this promised king would go about his rule, the Bible tells us that this promised king, Jesus, knew exactly why he had come, knew exactly what needed to be done. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus has these words to say, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, there was a big problem that needed to be dealt with. A problem called sin, which means our rejection of God's rightful, perfect rule in our lives. We'd rejected God and were facing the penalty for this. God's judgment. The only way that this could be dealt with was through a perfect and faultless sacrifice. So Jesus died for us as our ransom which means he made the payment that needed to be made. He took our place so that we didn't have to face the consequences for rejecting God and living against him. The Bible teaches that everyone is guilty of doing this and that Jesus chose to pay the penalty for that on our behalf because he loves us enough to knowingly and willingly go to the cross to die for us. And Jesus followed through on the claims that he made, that he would suffer, that he'd be beaten and mocked and killed. And the snippet that we read from Tacitus backs that up, that Jesus did suffer and he did die in the most painful, horrific way that the Romans could think of. They nailed him to a cross while he still breathed and they waited as his life slowly, painfully drained away and ended. But Jesus didn't just claim to be going to his death in Jerusalem. He said that on the third day, he will rise again. And that is one of the most unbelievable points about Jesus, about Christianity, the resurrection. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Even if he was a person that really did exist, who died on the cross, well, did he really rise from the dead as he claimed would happen? Well, yes, he did. And for Christians, the resurrection is crucial. It's made clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and point 3, the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 17 says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If the resurrection isn't real, then the Christian faith is a futile one. It comes to nothing because it rests entirely on Jesus, who he said he was and what he had come to do. 
And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there can't be salvation for anyone because death would still win. But 1 Corinthians 15 firmly states these things, that according to what God had already said would happen in Scripture, Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And that it's only through Jesus doing these things that we can be saved. But it's not just one person who was a witness to this. We're told that Jesus' resurrection wasn't kept secret, that he met with his followers before returning to heaven. The Gospels all talk about the resurrection happening, about Jesus' appearance to different people. In verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That's Paul the Apostle, the author of 1 Corinthians, talking about how he became a Christian. It wasn't just a few people who saw Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. There were over 500 witnesses to the fact that Jesus had been dead, but that he'd come back to life. Jesus died and he rose again. The Gospels are all clear on this. The Bible is very clear on this. That He did this for you and for me. That we can't be right with God without Him. But that God wants us to be right with Him. To be in a relationship with Him. And what the Bible says about Jesus is truth. That He is the Son of God who came to this earth, who died in our place on the cross to save us. And He's alive today calling people to trust in Him and what He did on the cross. And He asked nothing in return for what He did, no payment that we need to make. If what the Bible claims about Jesus is true, what then? You may still be thinking, what if, so what if Jesus died, even if He did manage to rise from the dead again somehow, what does that have to do with me over 2,000 years after the fact? because what he did 2,000 years ago, he did for us. He died for us because he loves us. And he wants us to turn to him, to trust in him. Because if you don't, the consequences of that are eternal. We have every reason to believe that Jesus existed and every reason to investigate the claims that he made. Because unlike the scenario of the aliens in my backyard that I spoke of at the start, there's actually evidence for you to look at and to think through concerning Jesus. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, please do investigate the claims that Jesus makes further. Don't leave any question you have unanswered. If you came with a friend, ask them questions. And please ask us questions Talk to Mike or talk to myself after the service. Use a communication card. We'd love to think through this with you further because it's the most important thing that you will ever think through in your life. For those of us who are Christians, just remember what a magnificent thing it is to be able to trust in a God who would go to such lengths for us to know Him and share this great truth with others. 
because our response to who Jesus is does matter. And we want as many people to turn to him as possible.